defense pencil in, I guess, right? Well, or that was the fox uh, hole. That was the fox yeah. hole. Uh, hello, welcome everybody out there. This is Amateur Radio Roundtable. I'm Tom Medlin, W5KUB, and this show is about ham radio. So if you're out there listening on shortwave and you wonder what all these crazy guys are talking about, we're talking about different types of technology and radio transmissions and building things and just having a lot of fun with this hobby. So uh, if you're out there listening on shortwave on WBCQ 7490, uh, please send us uh, an email to Tom at w5kub.com and we'd love to hear from you and uh, tell us where you are give us a signal report how well the shortwave station is doing um, also um, I need everybody right now to do something for me uh, I want you to hit the subscribe button uh, the uh, subscribe button helps rank our show and it helps uh, YouTube to share our show uh, with other people's videos, you know, as you start surfing through YouTube. So please hit the subscribe button. That helps a whole lot. Hit the uh, like button. If you like the show, just hit the like button. And uh, also, you can hit the little bell, the little notification bell, and that'll let you know whenever we go live. Sometimes we go live during the week, and it's not the regular showtime, but that will at least notify you that uh, we're live there. Join our Facebook group. Our Facebook group is called Amateur Radio Roundtable. That's a lot of words and a lot of letters. So if you just key into Facebook, if you just put in W5KUB, you'll get the same Facebook group. We have over 12,000 hams now in our ham radio Facebook group. So we'd love to have you uh, join that group. And it kind of follows the show and a lot of the projects and things that we're doing here. Uh, 40 meter net tonight it was uh, interesting uh signals are starting to pick up a little bit on 40 we had uh, you know some pretty good check-ins tonight and uh we uh, uh uh had fun on the 40 meter net tonight let me ask if there's anybody new that's joined us tonight that didn't know about the show they may have heard about it tonight during the net or saw one of our postings in facebook uh, so in the chat room, if uh, you're new to the show, just please tell us in the, in the uh, chat room that you're new. We'd like to say hello to you and, and welcome you uh, to it. Katie is on vacation tonight. This show has great benefits. Uh, Katie gets a lot of more time off than Alan does. Uh, I don't get any time off, but, uh, you know, we'll, uh, we'll see if we can't fix that a little later. But uh, Katie will be back with us next week, and uh, 
maybe she can tell us what she did on vacation there. All right, so uh, tonight we've got a, a bunch of things to cover. We're going to talk about zero-pressure balloon. That's different than the super-pressure balloons that we've been sitting around the world. And the recovery of the uh, zero-pressure balloon, we knew it was going to stay up tw 24 hours. It went down near Char uh, Charleston. Charleston? Yeah. Yeah. That's where it went down, I think. I don't know. We'll find out in a minute. We got Martin with us tonight, and we want to welcome him back, and uh, we're going to try to convince him to be on our show a little bit more often. We may have to up his pay just a little bit uh, to get him back on here more regularly. Uh, and let's see what else. Alan's going to talk to you. Hey, I didn't know about this, but there's a new rule that's come out about RF exposure, and I think every ham now. Um, it, my understanding, and I just learned this a few minutes ago, every ham is going to have to submit this, I guess, to the FCC, RF exposure. So we're going to learn tonight what that means and what we have to do there. Let's uh, let's jump uh, just around and say hello to everybody in the in the room. I see uh, Martin up first. Hey, Martin, how you doing? Oh, doing just fine. Everything is uh, <clears throat> good in Starkville. Um Parts problems are just about solved, but still have um, uh, shortage of employees all over Starkville, all over the state. But we're working on that, but doing fine. All right. So you got a shortage of employees? Oh, it's it's a major major problem. Not just with us, but wow, all over all <clears throat> over the town, all over the state. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm gonna have to. Yeah. Hey, I'm retired. I'm gonna have to come down here and work a little for you. You know. Come on. Could, could you give me a job? Maybe I could work maybe one week a month. We got plenty of work. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll negotiate the salary a little later there. Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, 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 who else we got? We got uh, Alan. Alan, man, you got a nice looking shirt and background here, Alan. What's going on tonight? Uh, not too much. Good to see you. Sorry I missed you uh, last week, but uh, you know, I was some personal business to take care of, and uh, got another another uh, version of my W two eight W shirt. Got the uh, the uh, YouTube channel on the back of it there. Cool man. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, anyway, I just want to make a, a, a couple of quick announcements. For two weeks ago, we talked about operating split on HF. Uh -huh. And uh, if you missed that, you can obviously go back to the recording here. But the most recent uh, video that I put on my channel uh, just summarizes that again. So, uh, so if you want to just go right to that, you can go grab that as well. And I'll post a link to that over in the chat. But uh, tonight, uh, as you said, we're going to chat about the changes that were made or being made to the RF exposure rules as far as the FCC is concerned. You don't have to submit anything to worry about that, but there are some new rules in terms of uh, who's got to do the evaluation, and uh, and I'll give you some tips on how to do it. So All that's right. what we got tonight. I'm, I'm anxious to hear what i got to do. Man. All right. All right. Glenn. Glenn Popeil. Where, where's Glenn? Right here. There you are. Now, hey, are you still a bum, or you got a job now? No, I got a real job. Did, um, you, did you work today? I've been working all week. I started Monday. I am now officially a network engineer, IT support engineer for Amazon here at uh, their uh, fulfillment centers here in uh, Memphis area. All right. Is that going to make my packages get here any quicker? Yeah, I have an inside connection like that. I ought to help me, man. 
Yeah. Well, you know, and it goes right to what Martin was saying about the shortage of people. Um, uh, my previous company didn't win the contract for me to continue on that job. So I was unemployed a whopping 10 days. And in those 10 days, a bidding war erupted. Oh, yeah. And it was literally who had the biggest wheelbarrow of money for me to go work for. I mean, it, it, there, there just is no people willing to work out there right now in any field. Wow. You know, a contractor up here says he's having trouble getting people because as soon as he gets somebody to come, they, they get a stimulus check and they go leave. <laughs> yeah, that might, might be it, too. Yeah. So, uh, like I say, I just started on Monday, so I'm still learning the ropes. Uh, it is truly amazing. About half the facility is, is uh, robotics, and it's really neat. Yeah, I took a tour of uh, one of the um, Amazon fulfillment centers here in New Jersey a couple of years ago, and it's it is amazing, really amazing. Logistics on steroids. Yes, very much so. Whereabouts is it in Memphis, Glenn? Uh, well, they've got four: uh, one wow. in Olive Branch, one in Horn Lake, and I, I can't remember where the third one is. But I'm at their newest. It's called Mem Four, and it's up in the Raleigh Fraser area in North Memphis. All right. Hmm. All right. Well, look, hey guys, let's uh, and we've got, we've got, uh, let's just say hi to James, uh, James Lee. Hello, James. How you doing? Hey there, Tom. Everybody, how you doing? Doing good, man. How's things down in Florida? You doing okay down here? We are wet and underwater. We have had a wet weather pattern this year, but uh, we're starting to dry out. And uh, Katie may swing by here tomorrow on her her way down to the rocket launch. Oh, okay. Well, I get that on video so we can surprise her on the show next week. Okay. <laughs> try to get try to get it on hidden camera for me there. Uh, okay. <laughs> all, all right. Yeah, I, I I've talked to several people from Florida on the net today, and they said, "Yep, it's it's rainy down that way." You think they'll launch if it's if the weather's bad? The weather's actually supposed to be really nice on Thursday, but uh, through tomorrow, it's supposed to be pretty. Still stay wet. We've had a kind of a stalled front going up and down the state, and it has been really wet here. We've got standing water all over the place here in the mm -hmm. yard right now. Yeah, well, speaking of standing water, you, you and uh, our, our, our next person who I'm going to say hi to uh, was in some standing water here this week. Uh, Let's go over to Rylan, or James Rylan, but we'll call him Rylan because we've got two James on here. How you doing, uh, Rylan? You, you doing good tonight? Doing very well. Extremely excited to be here. Uh, yeah, I had a uh, foray through a little bit of swampland and uh, got the pictures of the muddy boots, too. Uh, yeah, and, you know what? We will uh, we'll talk about those in a few minutes, And uh, but this is this is your boots right here, man. You know, they look a little, they look a little mm. muddy, man. You know, look like you kind of sunk down in the mud there a little bit. Oh yeah, I sunk, yeah. I sunk big time in that stuff. Mm. But the the uh, swamp tried to eat the boots, but I got the boots back. So, all right, very good. All right, well, look, let's just do this. Let me jump into. Uh, uh, we're not going to get deep into blues tonight, but uh, since our first segment is going to be about the re. re the location and the recovery of our balloon. I, I just want to say, give a little recap of some of the things we've done in the last year and a half uh, with with uh, our balloons. Uh, we've really learned a lot about them. 
We've tried a lot of different things, but our very first balloon was launched. Our very first balloon was launched back in uh, uh, April of 2019, and that was W5KUB1. And I think we're up to 27 now. But that was one, and that was an amazing balloon. It it was actually just a small little silver party balloon, and it went 14,000 miles in 14 days. And uh, as it crossed uh, Japan, it hit a storm, and we watched it go down. We watched the altimeter, just like we were in an airplane, and that altimeter was going down, down, down. And uh, so we saw it crash there. So that was one of our first ones. Now, we've had some great successes uh, after that, we're doing a lot of experimental stuff with some balloons. Uh, we're gonna, this show is gonna take the Pico balloon to a higher standard. Uh, right now, even with a high dollar balloon, the highest you can fly with these Pico balloons is about 43,000 feet. That's just, it's just, that's the altitude, the max, based on the weight and the capacity of that balloon. Uh, we've got some beta stuff being working on right now. We're going to try to fly in about a month. We're going to try to push that limit, and we're going to fly at 55,000 and hope to circumnavigate the Earth. And then, guess what? We're going to even push that to the limit. I'm going to take that material and do some fancy things to it, and we're going to try to fly at 65 to 70,000 and go around the world. But that's coming up. So some of the fun things happened. That was our first balloon right there. Um, and, we've, you know, somebody asked us, how do you steer it? People said, well, how do you steer it? And we, just as a joke on Facebook, we said we had some specially trained ants. And it, it took one year to train these ants. And they are the ones that steer the balloon. Well, everybody on Facebook kind of caught on to that, and they talked about the ants all the time, just like they're real people. And, you know, we gave them certificates when they crossed the international dateline and, and so forth. Um, and they, they also went down a number of times we had crashes. Uh, here are the ants right here. Uh, this is a recent uh, film, uh, recent picture here. But uh, these ants went down in a Bermuda Triangle this past month, and they were, of course, rescued. You can see there. We lost one balloon in, in China, in the desert there in China, and we were wondering how we're going to get these guys out of China. But these Tibetan monks rescued the crew, and uh, they, they got back safely. Now, uh, last year we launched, we launched a, a simple balloon, and it made it all the way, but it crashed in Poland. And here's, the, here's a Polish ham club that we talked to. They went out and recovered it. They're actually holding the tracker right there, right in the middle of COVID. And we were, this was gonna be the first, uh, the first Pico balloon that stopped for refueling uh, and went around the world. So we, we, we went down in Poland. They were gonna gas it back up and launch it and it was gonna continue to the US. So we were gonna say, we're the first ones that, that stopped for a refueling and, uh, in, in uh, Europe and, uh, and continued. So, and here's a, here's a picture here. Uh, we had one, uh, I don't know, six months ago. It went down in the Norwegian Sea. And uh, you can see some of the sugar cubes floating there that we have for the, uh, the ants to keep them happy. Uh, but this picture was taken by one of the recovery planes as it flew past them. And this was up near, this was up near uh, Norway. And then if you go on down, we lost one, I don't know, 
seven, eight months ago in the South China Sea, just somewhere near the Philippines, and uh, the the ants didn't fare too well there. It went down in the uh, it went down in the ocean there. So you know that's kind of what's been going on there uh, with us. The uh, uh, we're trying to push the limit on balloon material, and uh, here is a picture. Here's a picture of the balloon that we flew to uh, uh, Ch uh, Charleston. And um, this is the end of it. Let me show you how big this thing got. Now, no, typically, this balloon, the balloons that we've been flying, and the, the only ones we can get that we, will work for this, are only about two feet in diameter and maybe six feet long. Uh, you can see this one's a little bit larger. It filled up a two-car garage. It got uh, approximately eight foot tall, and it's about 17 feet long. And uh, what we did, you know the pressures at various altitudes, and uh, you need to make the balloon be able to hold that pressure at the altitude. So we were trying to get to see if this balloon would fly at 60,000 feet. Well, Martin, you've probably seen this and know what this is. It's a, uh, you know, it's, it, you measure the differential pressure based on, on water, inches of water. And uh, so, uh, we, uh, we had this hooked up to the balloon there, and we kept pumping air and pumping air into it, and we were never gaining any more pressure, and we couldn't figure out why. But what was happening was the balloon material kept stretching, and as the balloon material kept stretching, the pressure didn't ever get any higher. And that told us that that balloon was not going to fly as a super pressure balloon. It would just keep going up, 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 and it would stretch, and it would, it would eventually just tear open. So we decided to fly this balloon as a zero-pressure balloon. And what, what zero-pressure means is zero-pressure means is that it's not super-pressure. You don't have a lot of pressure you're pushing on the sides. We actually had a three-quarter inch pipe at the bottom of that balloon as a vent. And when the balloon was launched, it was a pretty much empty. Of course, as it goes up, it expands. It fills the balloon up. But once that balloon gets filled up, it doesn't expand the material anymore and, and, and pop it. it. It goes out the vent at the bottom. And uh, a zero pressure balloon lasts about 24 hours, one day, one night. Um, and um, it went down the next day. We did a night launch and went down the next day. And we've got the people here that's going to talk about the recovery of it. Now, we did a, we did a night launch. Typically, all of our uh, uh, our balloons are solar powered, so we get the data on solar. But we did a night launch just so we could get that balloon up in the air without the sun heating it. Uh, and we put some special uh, uh, energy, uh, energy uh, ultra uh, lithium batteries on there, and those batteries are guaranteed to work down to four, minus 40 Celsius. And I didn't think much about it. Um, we've tried lithium batteries before, and uh, when we hit minus 20 degrees, lithium batteries turn off. They won't charge, and they won't put out any current at all. But these were supposed to do minus 40 C. We put them on there, launched this thing, and we were getting good data that night as it went up. But when we hit 30,000 feet, we hit minus 40, and that was exactly the temperature 
that the battery specs said it would work, and that battery shut down. So after we hit 30,000 feet, we don't know if it hit 50, 60, 70,000 feet. We don't know. We just know that the next morning it came down, and the battery actually helped the next morning for you guys to, uh, to find it there. So uh, I, I want to show you a quick video real quick of the launch of uh, this uh, zero pressure. It was a quite quite a large balloon, so um, I'm gonna I'm gonna put it on here and uh, let you see what it looked like. We actually launched at nighttime. Uh, the camera is amazing. The camera looks like it was daylight. It had such a low lux, it was light. But you'll see. I'm, I'm asking for a flashlight. Somebody please hold a flashlight so I can see what I'm doing. Here's a here's a, a quick video of of our launch and. Typically, we use hydrogen. Hydrogen will give you about, I don't know, 3% higher altitude, but this balloon was so big, we ran out of hydrogen fast, and then we emptied a, a tank of helium in it. So here's, a, here's the launch. Now, this is a homemade balloon uh, made out of uh, plastic like you'd buy at Lowe's or somewhere and the seam is actually taped uh, with some special tape to uh, make it into a uh, make it into a balloon <laughs> i thought you told me it was duct tape they use duct tape to save everything well uh, you know duct tape might work but this tape is really good on uh, poly it, it really binds that poly uh, so in just a minute you're going to see this lift off again it's, it's starting to get dark there the ducks might eat the ants, so watch what, it. what was that? The ducks might eat the ants. You gotta watch it with that. Uh, yeah, that's true. We gotta be careful there. <clears throat> All right, let's see. Uh, I'm gonna try to look at the chat room too. Uh, uh, let's see. That is Bill. Bill Brown. <clears throat> So we will uh, we'll get this uh, off in the air in just a moment there, and uh, uh, hello, Bill Brown, welcome. Tom, with a question in the chat room: What's the result if you mix the hydrogen and helium together? Oh uh, well, I don't know. You know, one gas is a little bit li better lifter than the other, but uh, I have no idea. It, it, it's, you get mean, helium's inert, so there's not. Yeah, gonna hey, be hey Bill. Well, so we we were talking about past things, Bill, with, uh, that we've done this year, and we were we're getting into the rescue of the balloon here, and I just wanted to show the launch here. So again, this is this is it's amazing that the camera makes this look like daylight here. Uh, it was dark, and uh, you're going to see, I'm asking for a flashlight, because I, I can barely see uh, what I'm doing. Hey, you need to wear a night vision goggles. Just about, just about, and uh, we, knew just, we knew this was going to be a short-lived flight, so we didn't do a lot of preparation on it. The batteries were taped in with some tape, and uh, it looks pretty crude right there. Uh, but we knew it was going to work uh, for the first day. I'm actually, uh, Bill, I'm actually connecting the batteries right here. there. Uh, the battery switch was two pieces of wire on this one, and uh, I'm, I'm turning that switch on right now. All you right. can see the flashlight. We've got a flashlight on here. It was dark out there, let me tell you. There's a wire there. Okay. Well, there's, 
There's one here. Oh, okay. One there. Uh, any danger of static? Uh, uh, there, there is this a danger is uh, sometimes. Yep. It's popping. This is the top. It's got the spring on it. Okay. Tom, what's the name right. of that poly tape that you use? I don't know. It's a special poly tape that it's made for poly, uh, polyethylene. So, um, and, and it really binds good. In fact, we laid two sheets of that uh, polyethylene side by side and put that on, and you cannot pull it apart. It's actually stronger. It's stronger than the uh, material itself right there. Did you get the tape from the balloon guys? No, actually, I, I ordered that on the internet. I, I saw it advertised as made specially for uh, polyethylene. So okay. uh, <clears throat> that's, uh, I ordered it, and uh, I, I sent them some to test, and they tested it down here in their lab, and uh, they said, man, this is some good tape uh, right here. So we're, uh, we're tying the payload now on the, uh, on the balloon. That's the end, top half of the antenna. I'm trying not to step on it. We got the flashlight going. Uh, so we're just about ready to turn this thing loose. I want to know what kind of camera you're using to be able to see in the dark like that. That is, that's just a, a Samsung 11 uh, cell phone. Wow. I mean, they are, they, they really got good low light, you know. I hear your parakeet back there. He's talking oh, to me again. Yeah. Now there, Ed's trying to do some fancy maneuvers there. I don't know what Ed's doing. He seems to be trying to, he seems to be trying to kind of get my attention with it. I don't know. He's holding the light over here. It's just amazing how much light that we have in the camera. He's holding a flashlight right now. <clears throat> All right, I think we're ready to launch. So uh, here we go. And this is just about the end of the video. This balloon is about uh, probably about 17 feet long. Uh, it has a circumference of 24 feet around it. it has a diameter of about uh, between about uh, close to eight feet actually, because it, it has stretched some. All right, here we go. Here goes the launch. It was a pretty launch, actually, and the wind was blowing pretty good that day. Again, you notice that the balloon looks like it doesn't have much gas in it, but there we go. And it lifts the tracker out of my hand, and uh, it is gone. That's pretty scary uh, winds, actually. Yeah, it, uh, yeah I was going out there, I was a little afraid that this was so big and that... It acts uh, like a sail. Yeah. We had so much wind. I was, I was a little afraid, but... You know, it, it turned out pretty good. All of our launches have turned out uh, pretty good. And um, we've learned, we've learned on these to, um, let's see, let me get this off here. What time of the night was that? Just after sunset? This was about 7.45 p.m. Okay. So you had a little bit we of... We had a little bit of light, a little bit of light, but we were uh, using the flashlight here. So uh, we have learned, Bill, the best way, especially with this 20-meter antenna, you know, is is to take the balloon, you know, downwind. You hold the tracker upwind, take the balloon downwind, and when you turn loose of that balloon, 
you don't have anything holding it back now to make it flop around toward the ground. It'll just it'll just start rising, and by the time it gets over the tracker, it's up in the air, and it'll just it just yanks it right up. All yeah, right, if so you have very little wind. Sometimes though, you'll have to run towards it because it could yank it <laughs> towards it. So yeah, but that that we do that with the uh, big high altitude balloons, the big weather balloons. Uh, in like a 20 knot wind we get everybody lined up downwind and it just launches beautifully yeah if uh, we have several people holding payloads so uh let's now let's get into we knew this was a this 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 balloon would not fly as a super pressure balloon it would not go around the world it would it would have kept going straight up it would have it would have stretched and stretched and come apart uh, so my friend Ed, who has the gas there, says, let's launch this plane anyway. You know, he, we didn't want to waste a good balloon, so we decided we'll do a zero-pressure balloon. Zero-pressure balloon, as I mentioned, is good for about 24 hours, one day, one night, and that's it. So uh, we launched it, and uh, let's bring in some recovery team here, and let's talk a little about it. Uh, we got uh, we got James Lee, and we got James Rylan with us. James is from, uh, James, I'll call James Lee James. James is from Florida. He was just traveling through the area when, uh, when it went down. And we've got James Rylan, and he lives in South Carolina, near there. Let's, let's pick up James first, WX4TV. And James, I want to hear your experience uh you were you 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 saw it go you heard it went down and you said you wanted to go look for it and i said yeah, don't, tom i said don't, I, was, I said don't waste your time you know? <laughs> i was on my way home from north carolina headed back to florida yeah and i saw where you posted that the balloon had gone down and i realized that it was about a 20 or 30 minute uh side trip turned into several hours trying to find the balloon but uh i was like you know it went down i could probably help go look for that and um it was it was a long shot because there was a lot of swamp land around it but uh got down there uh got into where you had given the information on where it was last heard the um the direction of travel and the speed and the rate of descent and then i kind of looked at that and figured out where it might be and even though i didn't have a way to decode the packets i went down there and started listening on the APRS frequency to see if I could find or, or hear it. And I did hear it. Um, it was scratchy. I had to go up over a bridge that was about 60 feet tall, and the next packet was was quite loud on top of the bridge. And then uh, the one after that uh, down on the ground was low again. But I uh, got into where it was, um, drove down a long dirt road, went down to the end, found a neighbor down there, and he seemed interested. We. We got into his um, his gator and drove around and went out on a neighbor's dock. And I looked up to the north, and there it was. It was hanging in a tree about maybe a quarter mile away. And then we, we went uh, around and probably made our way to within about 25 yards of it and took some pictures of it. Yeah. Um I don't have the picture where you you drove really near it when I and the neat thing about the APRS is you can put the balloons in there and you can put your call in there and I could see you driving almost in circles around it man it was just so cool that uh, you were so close and typically our our uh, APRS uh, latitude and longitude 
Bill will tell you it's probably within a box a couple square miles, but we were running uh, true APRS here, so it was very, very accurate. So you uh, you found it. I don't have the video. You had a very short, uh, about a three or four second video. I didn't pull it up here. But uh, uh, tell us a story about uh, you, you had an interested interesting uh, local person that even helped you look didn't he drive you around yeah this guy uh drove me around and tom if you want to let me share screen i can, okay, you can i share. can try and right find ahead. it i can find it real quick let me uh look up your uh w5kub and i can find where i posted um anyway i, I found this guy uh he was uh, retired and interested he was kind of incredulous that there was a high altitude balloon that had come down near his property huh. uh, but then he heard one of the packets come over the radio and he was in, intrigued by it so we got in his gator and we drove around and um just kind of wondering where could this thing be i thought it was actually a little bit further to the south uh from his property but it was actually a little to the north of his property and um, we drove around, went over to his next door neighbors. And like I said, we went out on the dock. And I thought, you know, if it's out here in the water or if it's on in the trees next to the water, maybe we can see it if we're out here on the river or the stream or whatever that thing was. Well, here, and, hey, here, here's, a, uh, here's a picture of it uh, on our, uh, uh, monthly, uh, our, our monthly magazine here. Uh, if you there look, we go. If you look right under, uh, it's hard to tell where the balloon is, but it's somewhere under the word route. No, right about where it says breaking news, I think. There's the balloon that's hanging. Oh, yeah, right below breaking there. And uh, there's a picture of James there with uh, rescued the answer. Yep, that was that was it. Um, we found it. Uh, and then we drove around, and we actually walked through the woods for a while, a couple hundred yards, to try to get closer to it. I didn't get as close as Rylan did uh, because there was a lot of water between me and there. And then I figured out from the satellite picture how we could get to it. And the neighbor, and actually a couple of the neighbors were like, no, you don't want to do that. Um, the property you're going to have to walk through to get to it. And that was the way I was going to go. Um, it wasn't owned by somebody who would want to have neighbors, people walking through. So we did not go through his... Um, we did not go through his property and, and try to find it. Yeah, here's a, uh, let's see if I can bring this up. Here's the uh, APRS map that shows you. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't show the balloon because it's been more than seven days, I guess. But uh, you can see the uh, terrain we're looking at here. Um, let's see. Yeah, this is, this is water out here. In fact, I'm a little uh, disoriented here. I'm not sure where. Yeah, I'm looking for it here on my um, on my stuff. I'll find it and I'll share the screen yeah. here in just a second. Um, it was definitely uh, an interesting uh, time of looking for this balloon. It was it was fun to do. So you actually came up on it. You found it. You can see it across the water there. You couldn't quite get to it. Um, and it was assumed it was on someone else's property, and and the the person, the local, taking you around didn't suggest that you go over there. He kind of felt that 
might be best to stay away. Is that kind of what? Yeah, the, the route that I had thought that I would go through to get to it um, was not going to be a good route to go, um, according to according to the neighbor. Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't go that route. Um, it uh, probably could have worked. Uh, I don't know. Uh, the the guy who who I was with said that he he was not uh, the guy was not a, a fan of uh, of visitors. Visitor, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm trying myself to. I've got a picture of some of the tracks I can share on my screen. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, we're. You can share, Bill, if you got it here. Here's a. a I've got a picture here. Let me. Okay, you, Bill's got the the tracks. There we go. So, uh, the balloon is actually the green line, I think. Yeah, the balloon is the green line there. I guess uh, James WX4. TV is the purple, no, the violet, well, both of them are kind of red, I'll call it red, and uh, uh, Rylan, is that, was that other, uh, was that other track you? Uh, I, I don't know. That's a good question, because I was, I actually, um, I was using APRS Droid on my yeah. Android phone. Um, and I also had stopped by the house to get my little, uh, Yezu VX8DR and I got a little antenna to roll up in the window and try to get the physical packets, um, yeah. from the, um, from the tracker itself. Well, there's and, this, yeah, and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get your details in just a second. This oh. is, this is, uh, uh, this is the picture that, uh, James took. If you look there in the center top, you'll see it looks like a ghost up there. That was the actual balloon, but uh, he had quite a bit of uh, it, it, the ground wasn't too good to walk on right there for sure. Um, and I think James uh, or Roland, you took this picture. This picture mm-hmm. here is uh, you can see. Let's see. You can see the balloon in the top. If I can get it down here a little bit, let's see. Well, can't do it. It's way up that tree. That's so it's way up the tree. You can see it. uh, You can see it right, right there in the top of the tree. That looks like a pretty tall tree there. And let's see. um, And then I I think I've got some uh, tracks and things on here that might be interesting to show. yeah, I have another track okay. that shows uh, Ryland's uh, right. path to. Yeah, let's uh, go ahead and put it up. Okay. And you can see uh, both uh, James uh, WX4TV and yeah. KI4SIYs uh, all running around there uh, chasing for it, looking for it. And uh, so it was, and plus we were hearing uh, the uh, whisper uh, across the country as well. Yeah, so you got both tracks. The green track is the balloon. Yeah. And then the other two tracks are 
or James and Rollin. All right, so, okay, well, James, uh, you were the first on site there to actually find it. I thought that was kind of cool that you were, uh, you were just passing through and you said you wanted to go look for it, man. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And actually, Tom, I've, I've got my pictures up where we can, okay. where I can share them here. Let me uh, hit my share screen. Uh, I've got that, and I've got the the uh, the, the uh, video here as well. I guess I can only do one at a time, so I'm, I've got to hit shift to do that. Okay, and share sound as well. All right, so. Um, let me go here to the uh, the pictures first. This is the first picture here that we we took. We were at the neighbor's next door next door neighbor's yard, and you can see my mouse there. That is the balloon when we first we first saw it, and then um, that's a zoomed in picture that I did of it, and that's the one that I sent to you, and you you thought, well, yeah, that that is it, but mm -hmm. we were still a quarter mile away from there, and as you see here. I was actually off the uh, off the screen. Um, I was off the screen down here somewhere. The balloon was up in here, and then here's another picture where it's um, that's actually it up in the in there. Yeah, and you I have a lot, of, you can, a lot of water through. <laughs> yeah, so you can you can see there that uh, that's a zoomed in picture of it. And well, and I can do. understand you didn't have your boots on. Plus, there's alligators and snakes and <laughs> everything else out there, right? Yeah, there were some alligators. I, I was told I didn't see any. Yeah. But uh, let me uh, let me play the video here real quick because this actually shows where we're, I was hearing real loud hearing the the. Um, you may have to share sound too if, if. I did share the sound, but let me see if um, I may need to do it. Yeah, I'm sharing sound. I think what I need to first do is mute you on YouTube here. Let me do that real quick. I'm just going to close you out of YouTube. It's not sharing, is it? Uh, we're not hearing. I'm not hearing. Well, anyway, well, you can see you can see where it is there across that water. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. Uh, hey, I re really appreciate you going out there and uh, making the effort to find it. Let's bring uh, Rylan in here, and Rylan, let's 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 talk a little about your experience real quick. Uh, you were the other half person that found it there, man. What do you think? You were called. Uh, now, do you live near there? I do. I do. I uh, live. There's an island right next to it uh, called James Island. Um, you've got Folly Island, which Folly Beach. You've got James Island, and you've got Johns Island, Wadmalaw, and so the entire uh, coastal section here around here is nothing but barrier islands, stuff like that. So uh, I uh, live right nearby, and uh, I was at work and uh, at the office, and all of a sudden I get this email on my cell phone. Uh, and I was totally unaware. I, I wasn't following a launch or anything like that. And all of a sudden, I get this email. Mm -hmm. I tell a couple of coworkers in the office, and the guys were like, "That's really cool." And I was like, "I think I'm going to take a half day and go find this thing." So, yeah. Uh, 
I wound up uh, leaving the office and all that stuff and uh, didn't have the handheld with the APRS um, on it uh, in the truck. So I had to come by my house, go get it, and then go out there. And then the uh, the search began. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, now you, you actually went over on the property that the other guys were kind of saying stay away from. And you got a completely different story. You met a really nice guy there, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was great. Um, I started, I went over there to the island, and, and I, I found the general area. And it's really funny because the first time, I, I think that James, I think of the export TV, I think he went uh, to the south of it, to where he would have had to walk around yeah. um, to go through some pretty sketchy property. And I think that's the neighbor they were probably talking about. Um, and I, the first time I went through there, I did not hear a single packet from the tracker or anything like that. I didn't see, you know, the W5KUB-11 there on my uh, handy talkie. So I did some, uh, some some riding around the island. I was like, well, maybe this thing's going south. And uh, went south and went down the road towards uh, Wadmala Island, which is the next island over. Um, and was thinking, well, you know, if I'm not getting a beacon, this thing could have gone in the water already, or it's already been retrieved and turned off because mm -hmm. I knew James was in the area. Um, and it sent him a message over my APRS droid, but evidently it won't allow uh, messaging between over APRS between, I guess, Android and Apple. So <laughs> Android versus Apple. But uh, then came back, and um, the second time I went through, I'd gone down that gravel road before and hadn't gotten anything whatsoever. Came back by, and it was when I was on a road right across the, the creek from it. I saw the display light up, and that's when I saw the call sign. I was like, okay, wait a minute. Yeah, I've, I've done enough riding around now. I think I found it, but I couldn't see it from where I was. So I took the chance and went back down the gravel road and to the left between myself and where uh, James was and where they went, they had been riding around the gator. Um, there was property where there was only a tent and maybe some chairs and stuff like that. And there was no house on the property, but uh, it was clearly somebody living on the property in a tent. And I, he probably, he was, uh, James was right. Um, the guy probably didn't take too kindly to somebody walking across his property, but the second time I went through there, um, I went all the way down the gravel road to a very nice house at the end um, that had a property beside it for sale. Um, and I showed up, and uh, there was a young guy there by the name of Casey Blanchard. And uh, I got out uh, got out of the truck, and there was a large Rottweiler that came running up to me. So I just kind of stood there and was like, hey, yeah, I'm happy to see you. <laughs> you know, you never know. <laughs> you know, until you meet the dog how it's going to react or anything like that so luckily the dog was friendly but uh casey got off the phone he was on the, on the phone with somebody and i told him who i was and, and what i was there for and his reaction was cool let's go find it so uh, <laughs> we um we traipsed across there and um we went out through some pretty thick vegetation um uh, and about halfway there there was a really good marshy section um that uh casey had no problem getting over he had some boards and stuff like that he could walk over and i'm significantly heavier than that guy so every board i stepped on started to sink in <laughs> and eventually yeah like the picture shows <laughs> it uh this the swamp started or the uh the marsh started to try to eat my boots so uh finally made it across that and i had actually at that point taken my boots off and socks put the socks inside 
walk his barefoot through there, which is probably oh, not man. the smartest thing, but we had come this far, so we were not going to turn back. Um, and we finally walked out into a, like a little miniature clearing there on the end of that little peninsula, and he was the first one to spot it. I, w- I started looking up, but I was looking up the wrong way, and I, he looked up the tree, found it, and I looked up at the same time, and I was like, that's it. And I was like, I don't know how we're going to retrieve that. <laughs> So, I mean, that, and that tree, I had to zoom in to take that picture. Yeah. Um, it is probably between 60. That tree's probably about 80 feet tall. And that balloon probably 60 to 65, maybe 70 feet up in that Man. tree. Well, you know, wow. So it's you, a very actually, tall pine. And it's, you know, they, they, he said he had somebody that had a, uh, a tree crew um, that might be able to shimmy up the tree and go get it. Um, but yeah, I don't know if the guy would yeah. payment for that or anything like that. So yeah. I don't know. I uh, texted the guy and uh, haven't heard back. So I don't know if we're going to get this. So did you did you say you actually took your shoes off and you were wading through that barefooted? Oh man, you're a you're a trooper. Let me tell you, man. Because I put my right boot um kind of altered in and I was going up towards the shin and I was like, okay, so I just I couldn't pull out. And so I just reached over with my hand, pulled the boot all the way out of the mud, and set it back down. And so you were sinking uh, down to your knees almost in mud out there, man. Oh, wow. Let me tell you something. Carhartt and Tony Lamas, I'm wearing Tony Lama um, cowboy boots and Carhartt pants, and I thought the pants were destroyed. I mean, they, they had marsh caked up all the way up, you know, near the knee and on the thigh and all that stuff. Yeah. One wash. Every all of that came out like brand new pants. <laughs> yeah, I tell you. Well, hey, thank you so much for your effort and and, and getting out there and finding that. Uh, it's still in the tree. If somebody wants to go out there and get it down, we're gonna leave it in the tree. <laughs> well, we he theorized that it was gonna be a hurricane that would get it. Yeah, we'll yeah. It's it's probably tangled pretty well in that tree. It's not gonna come down for a while. So, um, you know. You might take a you might take a rifle out there and shoot the tracker down. We used to go uh, shoot mistletoe down, you know, from tall trees in the forest with a rifle. But uh, oh, yeah. you'd have to hit you'd have to hit the little uh, fishing line to cut the tracker loose for it to come down. You know, you might have better uh, results having somebody catch on the side I was on and yeah. where James was actually firing that shot to be able to find yeah. oh, man. to see where he could shoot it from because from underneath I couldn't tell. Well, hey, thank you, uh, thank you so much, man, for all your effort and going out there. Uh, it, you know, uh, they asked in the uh, chat room, was this balloon launch a success? Well, it really was. We didn't have any expectations. We knew this balloon was not flyable for the way we wanted to fly it. We wanted to just fly it anyway. Uh, we knew it was zero pressure. It's going to come down the next day, and it did come down the next day. The only thing we don't know is what kind of altitude we actually achieved because our batteries quit working at minus 40. So we don't know. We don't know if we went up to 50, 60, 70, 80. We have no idea. Now that balloon size probably was capable of, of making it, you know, in the 70,000s easy, but we, we lost contact with it after 30,000 feet. And we didn't see it again until the next morning when it came down there uh, in, over there near you. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it, and, you know, it was kind of a, uh, a dry, you know, not so much fun launch. But what turned the whole thing into a lot of fun was that, that you and James were able to go out there and find it. And we added a story to it now. 
and uh, that's what that's what made it probably uh, more success. So hey, thank you for uh, coming on, uh, Rylan, and also James. Thank you, man. Any any last comment, James? You know, you're welcome, Tom. Um, I was just asking Faith Anna with the muted. You remember Faith Anna went to South Africa yes, a couple years yeah. ago, and they did a high altitude launch that was actually coordinated with their version of the FAA because it was a very heavy balloon. And um, they used Energizer lithium batteries, yeah. and um, I, they insulated them somehow in, in their payload, and it got high enough that the GPS was actually turned off. Okay. That um, apparently above a certain height, GPS is turn off. I don't know what height that yeah. is. Yeah, some some GPS is uh, turn off uh, at different altitudes. It depends on the GPS. If you have the wrong one, it'll stop at uh, sixty thousand feet. Some of them stop working at forty thousand feet. Um, the U blocks, for example, you have to send its command to work for airborne mode. If you don't do that, it'll stop. Yeah. So James, we uh, yeah. We were today that uh, they they forgot to put the command in and it uh, yeah. and it stopped working at forty thousand feet. So. so so James, we were we did use the Energizer Ultimate lithium batteries, and the specs say that they will work down to minus forty. And man, yeah, I was hoping it might work a little better, but I, I think the temperature got them. If we had a couple more batteries in series, they might have been putting out a little bit. We might could have taken it further, but man, at that. At those temperatures, it, I think it just shut down. Now, uh, Ryland, I found Ryland because I looked on the APRS map and I looked all over the region for somebody who was had a mobile APRS vehicle, and there was KI4SIW, uh, and and I looked him up on QRZ.com and uh, found that he had an email address and emailed him. So that's how Ryland got into the chase. Uh, but I just looked all around, and the, the first vehicle I found that that I said that's that's one of the people we need chasing. Yeah, well, he was the he was the right person. That's uh, that's for sure. Okay, hey, guys, I had hey, a blast. <laughs> we need, okay, we need to move on here. We we got Alan uh, segment, and and I want to get Martin in here. We always have a good time when Martin is in here, and uh, thanks James and James for uh, coming on, man. We really enjoyed it, and. Stick around if you want to uh, for the rest of the show. Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll probably stick much. around. Um, the kids have got to get to bed. Three of them are in college now, so yep. uh, I'll uh, I'll mute it and probably stick around for okay. the rest of the that's, show. That's, that's fine. That's fine. And Alan, I've got a four a.m. workout in the morning. Uh, oh, four a.m. Well, you better go bed right now. You know, just, you know. <laughs> that's exactly what my dad would tell me right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better go right now. You know. Walking through the stomp, swamp and bare right. feet. So listen, Alan. Navy SEAL yeah. material right there. <laughs> <laughs> Look, Alan, let's do this, Alan. Let's put, uh, let's put the RF exposure, as much as I want to know about this, let's put the RF exposure off till a little bit later in the show. If we don't have time to talk about it this time, we'll finish it up next time. But I want to get, I want to get Martin in here. Uh, it's uh, it's just great to have Martin back with us, and I don't know where we're going to go with Martin, but let's all just ask Martin. Let's 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 talk ham radio. Well, you were talking about uh, earlier. Some somebody was asking you what you were using the uh, double extended Zep for forty on yeah. that tonight. Yeah. yeah, we in fact that person uh, hopefully is watching the show tonight. He learned about it from the net. 
I think he gave me a 60 over S9 signal report in Atlanta tonight. He said nobody else was that loud. Mm-hmm. And he said, I, I kind of suspect it was the, the, the extended double zip you're talking about. And he said, because of that, I've started reading about it and studying it. He says, I, that sounds like a pretty good antenna. And I said, well, tonight we're going to have Martin Jew on here. He is the guy that put me on this antenna. He's got one, and he put me on it. And and um, uh, we're going to talk about the double zip. Let, before we get into that, Martin, let's everybody just take a standby just for a, a one minute here. We'll be right back, everybody. The great doors are calling. Get outside under the stars with one of ICOM's ultimate SDR transceivers. The IC705 is a perfect transceiver for hams who enjoy both the great indoors and the outdoors. It's a perfect QRP companion. The base station has features and functionality at the tip of your fingers and a portable package. And it covers HF 6 meters, 2 meters, and 70 centimeters. And guess what? It weighs in at just under 2 pounds. It has a 4.3 inch touchscreen, and it's got a live band scope and waterfall. It'll run 5 watts with a BP272 or 10 watts on 13.8 volts DC. It runs all modes, including D-Star. The speaker microphone comes standard. The perfect accessory for the 705 is the LC192 backpack. It has a special compartment for your IC705 and room for all your accessories. Create your own band opening with the IC9700. This transceiver radio brings direct sampling to the UHF VHF um, weak signal world. James, are you still this all mode this? transceiver is loaded with innovative features that are just yeah, sure here. to keep I'm you here. busy. It has a 4.3 inch color touchscreen uh, and spectroscope uh, and waterfall. In, uh, South Africa it has smooth satellite operation with 99 satellite channels and its full duplex operation in satellite mode. Heard it, worked it, and logged it with ICOM 7300. It's a high performance, innovative HF transceiver. With a compact design that will far exceed your expectations. Uh, this innovative HF transistor digitizes the RF uh, before various receiver radio, stages I think. to reduce the generating inherent noise in different IF stages. The IC7300 is the radio that changed the way of entry level HF. Visit www.icomamerica/amateur um, for more information on ICOM radios. A lake that was a couple hours drive from there. I don't remember what it was. The main thing I remember from that is that we were there in August, which is their winter. And LDG Electronics provides state-of-the-art antenna tuners for close. every amateur need. Wow. From QRP to QRO, fixed stations, yeah, portable I, I, and I remote, an LDG and tuner will match your radio to Africa. your antenna using our lightning-fast, yeah, proprietary tuning algorithms. Africa. LDG is a family-owned and operated yeah, company dedicated to bringing innovative, quality products yeah, uh, to the amateur market. All LDG uh, products carry a full two-year uh, warranty that is fully transferable. Uh, man, Support is only a phone call or email away we're always here to help you visit us on the web at ldgelectronics.com all right so we had a little audio issues there i think during the icom thing we also had some audio going out from you guys but that's okay we're uh, this is an amateur operation anyway okay hey guys we're back and uh Let's get back to uh, Martin, where we were talking with, with uh, Martin a minute ago. So, Martin, uh, I, I want to talk a minute about the double zip, the extended double zip. Now, we've got another guy on here that in the chat room just said that tonight when I switched between the Delta Loop and the double extended 
zip, uh, it didn't make much difference. So, uh, but uh, it's definitely a good antenna. What do you think about the extended double zip? Um, well, it's a very, <clears throat> very simple antenna. It just takes wire and gives you about uh, about three dB gain over a dipole. <clears throat> and um, this is back in a little bit after 1960 when I had um, upgraded from novice and was on 20 meter. Uh, phone back then phone was AM and I was using a, a old Heathkit DX40 using control carrier but I built a double extended Zep antenna <clears throat> uh, using wire out of an um, old electrodynamic uh, speaker just unwound the wire from it which was soft copper Drawn wire and built a 20 meter extended double zap and fed it with um, TV twin lead through a little homemade tuner and th it was unbelievable. I could make contacts all over the world using AM control carrier, but that was back in the day when the uh propagation is better than it is now great we had a, we had a great simple. great sunspot cycle thing going back then in the 60s yeah you know, so yeah yeah well and your wire would stretch you know you use a little bitty teeny weeny wire than that speaker magnet you know and so oh, but did you tune, that, did you you tune stretch that antenna? It out did you have a tuner on that antenna or did you just make yeah. it resonant no, no, it was a tuner. It was a little homemade tuner so, held together with epoxy. So, you know, if it's, if it's stretched, that's no big deal. What people need to understand is if the wire stretched a little bit, you're going to use a tuner anyway. So, Well, the, the problem is it, it breaks. Every uh, yeah. few weeks it would break, and we have to go back out there and put it back up. Well, that's because a bird probably landed on it, you know, sitting on it, and, you know. Oh, man. Well, but you know, I, I, Martin, on mine, my, uh, my, my lot is just a little over 150 feet wide, and uh, I've got it from one side to the other. Uh, the end out there, I just moved it to a new tree because I had to take down two trees, but I've got the end at about, probably about 80 feet, but I'm having to let about 15 feet hang, you know, on the end down here, so... I've got a flat top except one end. I got 15 feet hanging down here. Mm. Right, that that works. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It works yeah. all right. Now, does that will that antenna tune pretty good for like 80 and 160? Uh, uh, I think you can tune it. You can tune it up, and you can radiate. It won't work like it was a. Extended double zap, the yeah. lobes all break up. Yeah, but it's a it, it'd be a good all band antenna. Tom and, uh, uh, Martin, there's a there's a question in the chat about the uh, the antenna. So uh, asking if the uh, the double Arn is asking if the double extended zap with window line feed has an advantage of operating. Uh, let's see, let me back up here. Let me see where his question is. Here it is. Uh, what's the best 
what is the best, a doublet with a window line feed or the off-center fed dipole with coax for the 40 and 80 meter bands? Um, for a well, for a specific band? Uh, well, the question is, it looks like it's centered on 40 and 80. So if you had the choice, if you're running 40 and 80, would you run a double extended depth zip with window line feed or would you run an OCF with, uh, with, with coax fed? Well, double extended zip will give you some gain. It's a much cheaper, easier to put up antenna, but you have to have a tuner. A uh, off-center fed. It's um, uh, that's a that's a good way to go. Just lose a little a little bit of uh, gain, and um, you have to have more stuff for it to work. You need to transform the impedance of it. And need some kind of balance if you're going to feed it with coax. I, w I would, I mean, I always favored uh, a doublet type of an antenna with ladder line because of the uh, how easy it is to put up and uh, how cheap it is. Simple. Plus, you can use it for other bands too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I like about it too. That's what I run here. Just a 450 ohm line here into the shack with a good wide range tuner, and I can tune this thing up from from 80 to 10. Yeah, yeah. Was that Arnie in Columbus, Mississippi? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Arnie. Yeah, I think we got his question answered there. Um, like you said, the double zip's going to have about three dB gain over over a dipole, and I guess an infed is is an infed is just a half wave antenna, or well, not mm -hmm. an infed, a off center fed. Again, it's going to be a half wave. Uh, yeah. Well, generally, when you off center feed it, you find a point where the impedance is about the same on all the bands, and then you have to transform it down to fifty ohms. Yeah. And, yeah. Then use a balance to keep the uh, current off the outside of the coax. Well, I've got uh, I've got a friend that's running. Uh, he's running a infed, you know, with the balance. Well, the infed takes what is it a nine to one? I think it's a nine to one balance on a half wave infed, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it's not more I think, of a I think the, the uh, I think the uh, non-half wave infed is something like a twenty-seven to one, but I think you run a nine to one balance on there. And he's got a tuner. He also got a remote tuner out there on it. I'm just wondering, is there anything to gain? I mean, you know, the the uh, the infed half wave. He says it works on all the bands okay without the tuner, but he's got the tuner on there. Is there any reason to even have that balance on there or, or, or use a tuner? I mean, it looks like to me you're, you're doing two things and you only need to do one. Yeah. No, I think you're right. The problem with the infeds is there's a lot of current on the coax coming back in. It's hard to keep that mm -hmm. off of it. You know, back in the old days, we used to use random wires. Yeah. But... Back when we were kids, we didn't have enough sense to use the ground, so everything was hot. Well, you know, Martin, I, I uh, uh, you you kind of challenged me. I built this three eighths vertical, and yeah. uh, you told me to try a half wave. And so I've got a, I've got a three eighths vertical and a half wave out there for forty. 
A half wave is no more than an in-fed half wave. Uh, and it's got a ballon at the end, and instead of it going out at a 45 degree angle or flat, it's just standing straight up. But, you know, I found that it was, it was very difficult to set the resonant point without a, without a counterpoise or ground. And, and the, the best way I found to do it was, and I, and I think it's one-sixth wavelength or something like that. You may know, uh, Martin, but I think it was one-sixth wavelength back from the feed point. I just did a dirty ballon on the coax, and that fixed everything. It used that, it mm. used that short piece there uh, for the counterpost. So uh, a lot of people just get this in-fed, and they don't worry about putting that, that one-sixth wavelength dirty ballon or something here and they just get lucky that the length of coax they got is working with it but they can make it work much better i think if they would if they would do that yeah well you know rather than taking a half wave and not working it against ground what i like to do on something like a half wave vertical instead of using a transformer is just to use a l network and work it against ground Yeah. Yeah. Then you can just tune it for whatever you want. All right. We had to remove a user from a chat room. All right. Well, hey, I like antennas. Lord, I, I really like antennas. And um, nearly all my 58 years of hamming, I never really ran much power. Over the years, I had some homebrew. Uh, amplifiers and stuff but you know I got some pretty decent amps here in my old age and uh, so now my antennas have to be much better to run high power I can't get by with you know the, the RG58 and you know the, the the way I used to do it it's got to be much better I don't want to blow my amplifiers up you know and oh, yeah. uh, so yeah, I, 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 I like resonant antennas I like to, to trim them and make them resonant now uh, the double yeah. the, the double zip. I've got one of your fifteen hundred watt tuners on it, and uh, works great out there. And uh, yeah, if you try to feed fifteen hundred watts into half wave, I guess it's pretty tough. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Alan, what do you think about feeding half wave antennas? I mean, in feeding half waves. Well, I mean, I, I, I'm a low-power operator generally. I've got 100 watts max, and when I use an NFED half-wave, it's usually when I'm operating portable. I'm operating 5 or 10 watts. Okay. So even with that, you can still get some pretty high voltages at the end. Yeah. It's so high. Uh, but do you use a work? transformer, or do you use a, something like an L network or some kind of tuner? It's uh, it well. I, I've um, the, the one I've been using is one, is one from Par Electronics, and it's a little tuned tuned network at the at the feed okay. point. It doesn't really require a counterpoise because, uh, but it works remarkably well. I haven't uh, I haven't experimented with uh, running an N fed at a hundred watts. Um, yeah, no, I'm a, I'm a low power guy too. Yeah, the the Par is that that's one of those parallel tuned circuit yeah, type of tuner, yeah. isn't it? it yeah, is. it's an LC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, what I like to use is just a, a L network, you know, yeah. the capacitor at the antenna or the inductor series. Yep. You know, you know, yeah. that's what I did too, uh, Martin, on the uh, uh, 
First, I like on the vertical and stuff out there. I put a little tuner out there and found out what the inductance and capacitance needed to be. And I just mounted a fixed capacitor and, a, and wound a little fixed coil and stuck it in here, and it'll handle a kilowatt fine. You know, it's really easy. Oh, really easy. To that's do. great. That's hey, let's a talk great about, way. Let's, of doing let's it. talk about something. I tried to give away the other day. Uh, I've got about a hundred, a brand new hundred foot roll of seven eighths inch hardline. But guess what? It's a, it's a, it's a 75 ohm. It's cable TV, you know. So, but it's, it's 75 ohm. Now, uh, a lot of people use it. They say it's no problem. A uh, 75 ohm to a 50 ohm load. 1.5 to 1, that's darn near perfect. It gives you an SWR of uh, 1.5, you know. Yeah, uh, but also, uh, also in my studies, Depending on the length you cut that, it will actually match better. I think if you cut it a half, what a half wave, and hook it to a 50 ohm load, isn't it going to pretty much um, reflect a half wave load back at the other end? If you're if you're going to operate a single band, if yeah. you cut it at a uh, an even quarter wavelength, so a half wavelength, a full right. wavelength, it's going then the impedance at the far end is going to be matched at the it's going to be reflected or essentially represented at the at the at the near end regardless of the impedance of the coax and a 75 right. ohm is lower loss than 50 ohms so if, if you're going to run a single band and you're worried about 75 ohms cut it to a half wavelength or a full wavelength long but yeah in my mind it's a, it's one and a half to one swr if you're you know that's that, that's Close to perfect. So yeah, I yeah, it's not not bad at all. So that's some, really some good cable. And astronaut Doug Wheelock was with us, and we were sitting here, and all of a sudden, I'm watching out the back window, and a tree falls over out there on my building, and it breaks the power line. It wasn't even wind blowing, nothing. It just a tree fell, a hundred foot tree fell. Anyway, so you know, I broke the cable. Okay, so uh, cable company was here, and I asked the guys. I said, "Do you have any?" Uh, you have any, you know, cable hard line or anything out there on your truck uh, used that you, know, you, you can get rid of? I said, yeah, we've we got some out there for you. So I walked out with them, and they got this big, you know, eight-foot roll on the back of the truck. And he says, how much you need? 100 feet? And he starts pulling it off at reel, and he cuts me 100 feet off. Now, if the city's, if the cable company's listening, they're probably going to fire this guy now. But I got 100 feet of 7-8 cents. Um, Hardline, which I thought maybe somebody might want to use. I think it'd be uh, it would be good, and like you said, if you want to do a single band, that would really be good. There's uh, one more question for uh, for Martin in the chat here. Uh, Chris W4NRG is asking, "What's the next top new ham product from MFJ?" Well, we got some new amplifiers coming out using those uh, super rugged LD MOS, uh, both uh, 600 watt and the 1200 watt version is has got uh, FCC certification. Just got it two days ago. That's, that's certification. Great. Seen yeah. some videos on those those indestructible LD MOSs where guys throw a crowbar on the output and they don't cook the transistors. Yeah, and you know, yeah, I, I was always worried about getting a solid state amp. You know, you know, I, growing up with solid state, you know how easy it is damaged. But I saw the same videos, Alan, where where the guy, you know, he's got it. He's cranking a kilowatt out of it, and he takes a screwdriver and shorts it out, or he opens it, and it doesn't hurt the uh, the LD moss. So, man, Martin, how how yeah. do they do that? Unbelievable. 
Yeah. I don't know. This is these semiconductor guys. Man. They're man. doing it. That is, uh, it's just, it's just good. Now, I might think different about, I've never, never had a real solid state amp. Martin, do you think I ought to get yeah. me a solid state amp for my ETF? <laughs> what, what would you do? I've got. Well, I, I will wait until we get this thing in production and uh, take a look at it. All you know, right. Well, I've got, that. I've got an amp here with, what is it, 3C, 3CX 800s? Is it CX oh, 800s? Yeah. Well, unless you want to spend the money, I would stay with that. Yeah, well, you know, but I, I always like trying something different. It's got three. It's got yeah. a. It's got a pair of the three CX eight hundreds, and then I've yeah. got I've got your uh, AL eighty eighty B. You know, it's got uh, a three five hundred. That's a good rugged it. amp. Yeah, and that's a nice, beautiful tube and nice. amp, man. But um, uh, yeah, you know those eight eleven amplifiers that we have. You use the four. 811 and mm-hmm. 3811 tubes. Mm-hmm. We're going to try to build a uh, solid state version of that. In other words, a really low cost amp like that. Uh, just replace the finals with some uh, LD MOS or something? or uh, Something like that. Yeah. Basically a low cost solid state amp. Well, yeah. Well, that would be uh, that would be cool to, uh, to try that. Um, Can you really tell the difference at the other end? I don't think so. Uh, you know, five, six, seven hundred watts is yeah. as good as full legal lemon. You can't just can't hardly tell much difference. If you got a quadruple power to increase an S unit, so yeah, yeah. Well, an S unit is not very wide on my on my radio. It's pretty narrow. Yeah, there, you, know. you can't hardly hear it. Yeah. Um. Well, Martin, I want to do some uh, in a future show, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this to you. The uh, U.S. Army did some experiments on a using a tree for an antenna, and uh, I've always been interested in that. And I think in a future show, maybe in the next few weeks, I want to work on that. And there's a lot of study that's been done on it, and they use a um, Here's a picture. They use a, they call it a, a HEMAC. Now, a HEMAC is patented. The HEMAC is a helical coil coupled air core, air core toroidal coil. And that's how they couple to the tree with that, with that uh, toroidal coil there. So I'm going to build something up. I'm going to look at what I can find for specs. I'm going to build something up, and we're going to test it. Now, somebody might say, well, that looks like a slinky, and, you know, you can talk on a slinky. We'll, what we'll do, we'll do some comparisons. We'll, we'll, make a, we'll make a contact with it off the tree, and we'll make a contact with it on the tree, and we also will do some measurements. But that's the way I want to do it. Another way, and there are people on uh, YouTube that's tried this, and uh, it is to actually drive a nail in a tree. Uh, and uh, here's a shunt fed tree uh, back, this is, I don't know, 19-something, it was early, early 1900s. But the government's done a real study on this, and it, it, it's comparing it to other antennas. And this was in the jungle uh, where they uh, tried trees as an antenna. So 
Uh, I'm real interested in trying that as a segment on the show one night. What, what are your thoughts about a tree for an antenna? Well, I think that would be really, really interesting. Um, that toroidal coupling thing uh, seems kind of weird. I think most of the field is inside the toroid. Not much of it comes out of it. It really? seems like that shunt fed, yeah. Seems like the shunt fed would be good if you could put in more than one nail. Yeah, I mean, get some more current to flow in the tree. I uh, I, I looked at yesterday a, a YouTube where a person was showing he made a contact uh, with that, and he's uh, what he did. He drove a ground rod in the ground and connected coax to it. And then he had about a 15-foot piece of wire that went up the tree and a nail at the top. Well, I'm thinking that's a 15-foot yeah. piece of wire as a vertical. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, so we're going to have to do a comparison with it away from the tree and with it on the tree. And, well, uh, I, don't know. I don't know how you get around connecting to the nail. <laughs> Without a wire. Well, well, you know what he did. He ran 15 feet of wire up and then hit the nail. But um, I, yeah. my thought is that 15 feet of wire is a vertical yeah. antenna. So yeah. you know, yeah. I, I'll stick. You know, if, if we do that, we'll stick a 15 foot piece of wire up and tune it. I guarantee you, you're gonna <laughs> yeah. make yeah. you're gonna make contacts on it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I so um, right. and, and 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 two with the ground. I, I don't know. Um, the government probably put a whole lot more research into this than I'll be able to. So I need somebody like you that knows what we're doing to guide us through this tree uh, antenna. Now, you know, you know, if it turns out that this thing is great, a great antenna, you might not sell as many, you know, vertical antennas. You know, he'd be able to sell a lot of tree matching equipment. That's right. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. 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 And the tree matching equipment, it costs equal to or more than an antenna, right? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I I don't know if you remember years ago, somebody sold a Balin that was a magic Balin that was a perfect match across all bands. And it was all epoxied and potted so that you couldn't see what was inside of it. And he had a patent pending sign on it. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, we I tested it out and it had a perfect one-to-one match uh, across the band. But it didn't get out worth a darn. So we ah. actually sent it out. I had a friend that had an x-ray machine and uh, they looked at it and we chipped away at the potting material turned out it was a 50 ohm resistor yeah yeah well yeah that that was in qst wasn't that wasn't yeah, that yeah, photo we, printed yeah we we got a hold of one at 73 and uh, hacked into it too and, and we, ah. we we also saw that it was 50 ohm just a 50 ohm resistor That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah i remember that <laughs> well I don't know, uh, Alan. You uh, you got any trees up here, Alan? You want to try? 
You want to try to make a contact with us using trees? Yeah, the problem is I don't have any trees. I'm in, I'm in the suburbia here. I got a quarter acre lot. Oh. I'm, uh, my, half my, one of my antennas in a tree in my neighbor's yard. Oh, <laughs> so, okay. All right. But uh, yeah, so it's unfortunately I don't have a good tree to do that with. Yeah, and Tom, so, you've got a whole antenna farm around your house. I, I do. I have I have so many wire antennas up. And you know what? The nice thing about wire antennas, you can't see them. I, you know, you walk up and down my street, you don't even you don't see them out there. You know, if I used a piece of white rope or something, you might see that. But you don't see the wires. I've got I've got uh, uh, fan dipoles up, delta loops, extended double zips. Three-eighths verticals, halfway verticals. Uh, I got all kinds of stuff up out there, man. I got uh, hanging up out there. I've got a six-meter, uh, six-meter loop hanging out there in the tree. Uh, I've got plenty of tree. In fact, I cut down. Now, now, if you can figure out a way to uh, infuse copper into the trees and get a copper tree going, then you might have something. Yeah. Well. You know, my readings calls a tree a a uh, a liquid liquid or a fluid antenna. I guess there's been some articles written. Oh, okay. On uh, hey, Martin, are you familiar with that? Are there articles written on fluid antennas? Uh, seem like I have seen something like that, but that that makes sense. You know, that's uh, I, I was going to say while you're doing putting a nail in a tree. Um, why don't you put a nail on the side of your house and try to load your house up? Well, but, but my, but my house is side, is flood. side of my house is brick. That wouldn't work very good. Yeah. I'll say the concrete yeah. nail. But you the know, article I read said you had to get the nail into the sap. Yeah, the get it into the yeah, sap. Yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Now, about uh, is the sap yeah. in a tree, is that kind of right in the center or is it throughout the tree? right on the edge usually oh is it under the bark yeah okay well that's bark. good that's good because the last tree i cut down was five foot in diameter and i i, I wasn't sure i was gonna have a nail big enough to uh, to go in that thing yeah i wonder but, what wonder which types of trees have the most conductive sap well i don't know but you know that's that's the, i guess the basis behind this that it's a liquid or a fluid antenna the sap it carries minerals you know from from the ground, I'm sure it carries, uh, you know, uh, the calcium, salt, the iron. You know, you know how you get your vitamins. So I guess it carries it up the uh, through the sap uh, uh, to the tree le leaves, and uh, yeah. so and it will conduct. Uh, in fact, a friend of mine uh, did a little video where he actually drove a couple nails in, and he took a shortwave radio out there and put it on WWV, and he would touch the antenna to the nail. And take it off and we didn't hear any difference at all uh, with that test he did um, but uh, we're gonna try it we're gonna see what happens here uh, maybe, maybe you can get some clues from these guys that um, uh, get syrup out of these trees up in yeah Vermont or somewhere yeah oh yeah yeah, in fact, somebody just said, uh, Jim just said, uh, maybe a maple, and the maple's yeah. one that maple gives off the, what, maple syrup or whatever? Yeah. 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 So, I don't know. Um, but it's going to be an interesting experiment. Yeah. And, and we're going to play with it. And, hey, I'll I tell you, you know, I, if I really want to cheat, I can probably put FT8 on there, and I can probably work anywhere in the world off a tree uh, yeah. with, uh, <laughs> with FT8, well, you know. You know? 
choose the right time of, of year and the season, yeah. you can either catch it while the sap's rising or the sap's falling. So it's kind of a self-tuning tree. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, I'm going to run relatively low power. I don't think I'll do more than 100 watts on my tree because I, I've lost so many trees around here. I, I'm, I, I don't want to fry a tree. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see how it goes. I was down by the river the other day, and there was one of the trees there that had been struck by lightning. There was not a single char mark on the tree, but you could tell that obviously the sap had boiled and just turned into steam and blew mm. the whole tree out. So yeah, you know, don't want to put too much power into that tree. Well, that's true. I had, I had a, a tree next to my previous one of my previous houses. I got hit by lightning, and the uh, the top half of the tree that conducted the lightning to my house. Uh, died <laughs> so there you go there you go right there it shows it shows the tree is conductive it proves it hey tom while you're while we were talking while you were talking about the flood in a tree why don't you take a water hose fill it up with water and put a little salt in it try to load that up well yeah, i've talked to a guy who used a saltwater antenna like that it's a guy that up in uh, wisconsin yeah. or michigan or something that was running that and, and i ago. think that's that's what we were talking about basically that's that's a fluid antenna and i yeah. think they're classifying yeah. the tree as a fluid antenna because yeah. it does have some yeah. fluid um yeah that'd be interesting i guess i could pour salt all around my tree no wait that might kill my tree i better not do that yeah well, okay, so tonight we've, we've talked about some really neat projects. We've talked about our balloons and we've talked about, we've talked about our um, trees for antennas and so forth. Um, yeah, talked about so, ants. Hey, uh, I, I'm really interested to hear about these new FCC RF exposure requirements. Uh, do you th uh, how much time do you think, Alan? I mean, well, we're not going to go into time to do it tonight. Could, yeah, we're not going to go into huge detail, so we can you know kind of introduce it tonight since the announcement just yeah. came out. But there's no urgency with this, but we can certainly introduce it and talk about uh, talk about it so you know whether to worry about it or not. Well, let, let's uh, let's do that. Let's get into it because I, I just yeah. learned tonight from you that there's a new FCC requirement that everybody is going to have to do now. Is that right? Yeah, so yeah, let me let me bring up. Go, uh, go right ahead and uh, tell us about here. it. Yeah, so um, let's pop up the announcement here, and this is something that you know it's an FCC rule change. Um, it was a, a lengthy report and order, but I'm not going to go through and read all that. Uh, the just the the gist of this is is that um, the rules don't change for the existing RF exposure limits. So there's no change to the limits or the rules and things like that. But what the only change that there was is that it does require all service, all uh, transmitting services to uh, perform an exposure study. Now you don't have to submit anything. You don't have to, uh, you know, you know, create any you know, official documents or things like that. It's just an exercise that you need to do um, because it used to be that if you, let me pull up another little page here. 
if you kind of fell underneath this chart in terms of, okay, if I'm always operating 100 watts or less below 15 meters, I was exempt from even having to do the study in the first place, to do the evaluation. And the only time you really had to worry about it is if your station was more than 50 or 75 watts on you know, between, say, 12 meters and, you know, and 70 centimeters. Then you had to kind of run the evaluation. Otherwise, you were exempt from doing the calculations at all. That's the thing that changed, is that you're not exempt anymore, and you, and you do need to run the calculations. However, there's no urgency, really, at this point yet, uh, because what it says is that um, with this change, after May 3rd, okay, uh, you've actually got two years to actually run this evaluation on your station, as long as you don't make any changes to the way you've been operating you know, up till that point. If after May 3rd, uh, you know, next, in two weeks or so, you make a change to your station, you add an amplifier, you change an antenna configuration or something like that, then you need to run the evaluation, you know, at the time you're making the change so that you're good to go. But all it means is that you're, you're going to run through this, this process to, to ensure that you're not exceeding any exposure limits and just keep the records in your files just in case. That's really all it comes down to. Uh, so, so this is the announcement that came out on the ARRL. You probably got an email. Um, there is a lot of information on the uh, RF safety page uh, on the ARRL uh, website. So there's a lot of information there. There's also an entire book available for download, RF Exposure and You, that was written by Ed Hare. And according to this paragraph here, the ARRL Safety Committee is working on, is working on creating more Easily, easy to use guidelines to help you do the evaluation. But at the end of the day, it's actually pretty simple. The RF exposure page for ARL is right here. There's a couple of links. Um, is it, uh, more, more useful one is probably these the worksheets in terms of actually working through and doing your evaluation. Again, you've got two years to do this unless you're making some changes in a couple of weeks. Okay. Um, the worksheet looks like this. It's actually pretty simple. You got your call sign and things like this. And this is just something you could fill out. You know, stick in a file folder somewhere. Uh, and the other thing to think about is people, well, oh, gee, I'm running, I'm running 100 watts or I'm running an amplifier. You know, I've got to worry about it. But if you look at what goes into the calculation, uh, you get the peak envelope power. That's one, th one thing. Then you enter the duty factor, which is a function of the mode you're operating. Now, if you're operating digital modes and things like that, that's close to 100% duty cycle. If you're operating CW, they actually refer to that as just being 40%. If you're operating single sideband, that's 20% duty factor. But then you also factor in the controlled and uncontrolled operating time. What this means in a controlled environment, like if you're uh, in a business or something like that, and you know who's around and who's going to be near the antennas, that's a different set of requirements. Most of us will fall into the uncontrolled uh, station where you've got neighbors walking up to property lines and things like that, where you don't know who's going to be near your antenna. And what you have to do is take a look at a given 30-minute operating period, a typical 30-minute operating period, what percentage of the time are you actually transmitting? Now, if you're contesting, you might be transmitting 50% of the time. If you're just a casual rag chewer, you might be transmitting 10% of the time out of that 30 minutes. So if you take your peak envelope power, you multiply it by the duty factor for the mode you're operating, multiply it by the percentage of time you're actually operating, the average power actually can be quite low and oftentimes is low enough that you're going to have no problem with, uh, with the exposure. Uh, when it comes to looking at the exposure, there's, this is actually that book you can go download. Chapter five in that book is also available to download that talks, it goes into great detail of how all the evaluations are done. 
But a lot of that is simplified by a couple of other uh, folks that are out there. Um, this one here, uh, ham, uh, hamradioschool.com has got some really nice, a really nice page here on uh, evaluating your station. That's kind of where this table is. It talks about that if you are under this table, you don't have to uh, do an evaluation, but that's not true anymore. That's what's changing. But then they also have a link to a, a spreadsheet that they show down here. Actually, what I'll do is let me just let me share that spreadsheet with you because I'll show you how simple it is to, to actually go see that. Let me find that spreadsheet. Here it is. So it's really as simple as this. You put in your transmit power. Here I put in 100 watts. Then feed line length. Then the loss of your feed line so that you can calculate out how much power is actually getting to your antenna. You put in your mode here. You can drop down your various modes. You put in the, you know, the amount of time you're actually transmitting. Now, in my, you know, in my case, it might be something like... Uh, you know, point you know, point two percent of the time I'm transmitting. Say I'm a fourteen oh five, and I put in my antenna gain and things like that. You can see my average power went from hundred watts down to seven point three eight watts in terms of average exposure. And then it tells you right down here whether you're in compliance or not. So you basically just use the spreadsheet on every band and mode that you're going to operate on. You take ten minutes to do that. You print out the sheets, put them in a file. Done. That's all you got to do. So, so Alan, really here the question is this: um, yeah. This is a new rule, and this is not voluntary. You you you're you must do this. You don't have to send it in, but I guess if you ever come knocking on your door, you better have it, right? That's that's really what it comes down to. And you know, the chances of someone knocking on your door, unless you got a neighbor complaining that uh, and is going to get ugly with the FCC with yeah. you because of interference or whatever. They may come by and say, "Well, gee, have you done the have you done the right things?" And the right things mean following the rules, and one of those is doing this calculation. So, um, you know, so just you know, that's what you've got to do. And like I said, it's a pretty simple thing. You got two years to go ahead and do it, unless you're making any changes. Um, and there's also another. There's a couple of online calculators that you can go ahead and use. But I actually like that the um, the spreadsheet that is offered by this ham radio school because it takes into account. Uh, like I showed you, the um, the percentage time that you're actually transmitting during a given, say, 30-minute interval. And uh, and that's going to mean that you know, the vast majority of us, uh, even if you're running 1,500 watts, are likely not going to have to make any changes or do anything or move any antennas or change your operating practices, um, you know, uh, you know, based on that. But it's just a matter of running through the exercise just to be sure that you've dotted the I's and crossed the T's. So it's a, it's a relatively minor change. It's, it's going to affect a very, very small percentage of hams, I think, ultimately. Uh, but it just means it's something that you've got to do. And spreadsheets like this just make it very easy to go ahead and do that thing. But uh, again, according to uh, the, the rules uh, at this point, it's just something that uh, just changes the fact of whether or not that we're not going to just be automatically excluded based on operating some power level that you've got to run the exposure calculation. Uh, and the spreadsheet spreadsheet just makes it very simple. And then the online web pages make it very simple as well. And hopefully in the next couple of weeks, we'll see something from the ARRL with some additional guidelines that make it easy as well. That's really what it comes, wow. comes down to. Wow. You know, Martin, mm -hmm. here's, a, here's a new yeah. rule. Here's a new rule we, we got to do, man. I don't know. Yeah. We, we got to do it. Martin, yeah, you remember... You're right. uh, yeah. The rules have changed a little over the years. You remember when incentive licensing came out? You remember that? I do. Yeah. You know, we all had our general license, and the general license had everything. 
Yeah. And then, uh, uh, and then they came out and said, we're going to do uh, incentive licenses. We're going to create this advance, and he's going to get half of what you had, and your extra's going to get the other half. And, uh, you know, we all had to step up and upgrade to, to keep what we, uh, what we had back then. Uh, that, I guess that was about 1970s, probably, that incentive licensing came around. And, you know, since then, uh, I guess some of the licenses are already gone now, right? They're, they're not issuing an... Are they are they are they doing advanced now? No, they're not issuing novices. They're not issuing advanced. It's just yeah. a technician, a general, and extra. Yeah. If you but had they, those, you still keep them. But they're yeah, not you still keep them and you still use them. Yeah. Hey, just real quick, let me uh, uh, make this announcement real quick here, guys. Uh, you, many of you worked us and other KA6 LMS uh, special event uh, stations uh, last year or this this last month. Uh, the show's gone off the air, but they had this special. If you uh, worked them and you're worrying about your certificate, you can go to their website at gsbarc.org slash LMS. Or just, you know, do a, do a Google, Google search and it'll take you here. But this tells you how to get your certificate right here. Uh, and uh, it's a nice printable certificate. You just, you just click here and it'll print your certificate. They've got you in the log and everything, so uh, that's how you will uh, get your uh, your certificate there. All right. Um, okay. Hey, uh, if you're listening out there on uh, International Shortwave, this program is about ham radio, and you can see we cover a lot of different aspects of technology and electronics and different things and wireless and RF and, and, and all those kind of things. So it's about ham radio, amateur radio. And uh, we, uh... Hey, Tom, uh, yeah. there's a question. I posted uh, five of the links in the chat, okay. uh, in the YouTube chat. Uh, maybe at some point you can copy those links and put them in the video description uh, for okay. YouTube. Charlie was asking for that. I'm trying to think uh, in the video description. We could put them, yeah, yeah we could a, put them under the video, video under the video in, in comments. Well, not, well, you can put them in the comments there, but also when you post a video, you can actually put a description of the video as part of YouTube. Um, you can post them in there as well. All right, we'll see what we can do. I might need I might need training on that. Tom, it's been a great show. I, I'm going to have to pull out tonight. All right. Um, I had fun, and I uh, enjoy seeing everybody again. And y'all, y'all have a good evening. All right. Well, Martin, we want you to be a regular on the show, so take your Geritol. I take mine. You know, <laughs> okay. I, I try to take double doses of it. Take your Geritol. Uh, get to feeling good, man. And on Tuesday nights, man, join us, okay? Okay. I'll I do my best. And All right. Uh, I'm going to go take a swig of that Geritol now. That's right, man. The Geritol is 12% alcohol. I just want you guys to know that. that would make Only 12? That would make I it 24 proof. You got what? Okay. What, what was that? If the regular strength is only 12, then I'm only going to do the extra strength. Well, <laughs> I usually do a double shot of it. Uh, it, it helps. It, you know, hey, the double shot of it actually helps me, man. It gives me, gives me energy, man. It makes me feel young again, you know. All right. Thank you, Martin. See, see you later, okay. man. Enjoy we'll see you. Y'all. Bye. All right. All right, guys. Well, have we had Let's fun see. tonight? Man, we've had some fun, I guess. Um, hey, Tom, I've got yeah. a question. Yeah, for go Alan. ahead. I have a question for Alan. Yeah, go ahead. Um, 
My typical transmit power on Whisper is 20 milliwatts, and but it's on quite a bit. Do I have to be concerned? I, yeah, I, I mean, you could run the calculation with 20 milliwatts, but I could, uh, even if it's 100% duty cycle and you got the antenna wrapped around your head, you're probably still okay. <laughs> probably, probably are, probably are. Well. It's not even enough to power to light an LED. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. Well, I'll think, you know, I said, it's all concentrated in a very narrow band. In fact, I had a conversation with someone the other day. I, I was I was working somebody on this this new rig I just built. This is a little uh, QCX uh, QCX plus, you know, five watt. Actually, it's about a three watt uh, CW transceiver. And uh, you know, working some guys on that, like how you know how can you work across the country with three watts and the conditions being what they are? It all comes down to signal to noise ratio, right? So you're on on phone oper- occupying two point eight kilohertz of bandwidth. Got the equivalent SWR even or, or SNR or even better SNR operating CW than I do operating 100 watts in phone. So it works. Now, I t- I'll tell you, what, I was hearing uh, Australia on Whisper during the middle of the day mm. and, the oh, evening. Well. and during the middle of the night, we picked up some people on Australia on 10 meters. So the band's starting to pick up now. All right. That's cool. Alan, I've got a question for you. This is James. Yeah. Um, so with these new rules, to do a station evaluation let's say if you were going calculations for that or does that fall under the exempt well uh you know it's a good question and uh, there there is a there is a link on the rf exposure page saying rf safety and field day and i'm not sure whether it's something that's going to be under under an exemption or not i don't think it's that's been made clear yet or at least it's not clear to me but it is a good question and uh and usually the calculations are made for the antenna so if you get that up, up up a pole or something like that you're probably okay you still don't want people touching the ends of the nr of exposure but uh, it's a good question that i don't have a clear answer for on you yet james but again i think it's just something we've got to uh we should see some more information come out in the next couple of weeks uh, between key west and the gulf of mexico that are a marine sanctuary oh. as a place to go operate from um take some kids down there That'd be fun. Making our tree antenna successful. And that is using a nine foot aluminum, you know. That'll get you on 10 meters anyway. That, yeah, it probably probably would. Uh, hey, uh, he's the chair, chairman of the Huntsville Hamfest. I want a country, maybe even the world, if you want to stretch it. It's going to be nice, man. I can't wait to get there. Um, and we hope uh, astronaut Dubai don't think he's coming. I mean, I, I'll know maybe one or two days before that. That's usually the notice I can get from him. Uh, he's got two years now, so we need a good ham fest. And uh, James, you say you, you're not going to make it this year to Huntsville? Or you are? Well, you, are. You, you will. You will. We're definitely going to be yeah. there. The girls have got a, a, a really, really nice solar generator and solar panel. So what's a solar generator consist of? A solar panel and what else? Maybe a so control it's, a So control what box? they're giving away is is what they call their Solaris 600, the muscle of it, I guess. And then uh-huh. it's got um, a buddy pole power mini charge controller. And okay. it's put into a to be able to run your gear uh, in a way to uh, plug it. And you can charge it with solar power. And they've got one more of the version one that they have left and they are donating that to to the price uh, bin at Huntsville. We have operated with a 30 amp battery. This has a 60 amp. We've operated uh, field day or when we were down in the dry Tortugas a couple years ago, 
Uh, 30 amp battery, 100 contacts, and 1,915 hours of, of transmitting like that with and get on the air. I'm definitely going to buy price tickets for that at the Huntsville Ham Fest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come by the booth. And, uh, Bill, I, I'd love to talk to you uh, at Huntsville and on, and on the phone about this balloon stuff you do. Oh, sure. I'll uh, be giving a talk at the, on a balloon launches at the Ham Fest and doing a launch there. So uh, I look forward to great Ham Fest. Um, is that it's a 30-minute drive for me. And I don't have to get a hotel. <laughs> that works, yeah. It's yeah, a 12-hour drive for us from Florida. Well, that's good. Well, maybe, yeah, we, like maybe the show can get some... Uh, maybe the show can get some... The drive would be for me. I don't know. It's going to be a little bit of drive. The, 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 the vouchers aren't worth anything, but we, we can get you some of them, probably. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, hopefully, you'll get a lot of good exposure there. Yeah, we'll have a corner booth right next to Gigaparts and uh, facing... It's going to be one of the first major ham fests since the whole pandemic thing started, so that's going to be nice. Yeah, and I'm wondering, since it is coming back, I'm just wondering, you know, I thought there's two things can happen. One would be a lot of people are still afraid to get out, and they're not going to get out and go anywhere. They're going to be worried. The other thing is, a lot of people now have the shots and the COVID's starting to go down. Another thing is, this, this the uh, Huntsville, it may be bigger than ever this year. I don't know which way it's going to go. I think it's, you've got all that pent-up demand. I mean, I know I'm seriously considering getting a table or two to get rid of my stuff. I've got a whole room upstairs that's full of stuff that needs to be sold at a ham fest now. Yeah. I think it'll be a, a pretty good, well-attended show. Um, I think a lot of people are going to have their COVID vaccines by that yeah. by that point. Those who want and can get it uh, should be available. I can tell you uh, from personal experience that the COVID vaccine does work. I don't recommend the method I found out about that, but it works great. Yeah. So. Um, I didn't know if I you wanted. I didn't know if you wanted to talk about that tonight, but you know, one of our close people here and your significant other came down this week with COVID. Yeah, and the good news is uh, Bev WB four ELK is uh, going to be released from the hospital tomorrow. Oh, that's so, great! Uh, man. Great news. Excellent recovery. Um, but she was very ill um, a few days ago when we took her to the hospital. So uh, it, it's but, amazing. Uh, it's amazing how quick it can hit and be so severe. It was it was very yeah. severe, but she's made a remarkable recovery and she's back to her uh, energetic self again. Well, that's uh, that's great. And uh, hey, I'm glad you had your shot. Uh, I'm sure that probably has protected you. Uh, I think oh yeah, that's, very definitely. That's good evidence that uh, it does work. Oh man. We've got people in the chat room talking about the COVID. It's it's actually hitting other families here, other ham hams in the chat room here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it's pretty devastating if you don't have your shot and you come down with it. It can be very devastating. Yeah. Uh, so it's something I would highly encourage uh, getting the vaccine because the side effect was really pretty minimal. Uh, for my, in my case, 
the day after my second shot, um, I didn't want to get out of bed for a day. And uh, just some mild symptoms of fevers and chills. But then the next day, I was still tired, but I was fine. So it certainly beats the alternative of being down and out um, and horribly sick for weeks on end. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just had a sore arm from mine. I didn't get that, you know. I mean, it was it was one of the easiest shots I've ever got, man. It was good. Yeah, you know, Michelle and I both got it on the same day with the single shot vaccine, and we both got knocked down kind of hard by it for a couple of days. Was that the J and J? Yeah, J and J. And I had already had COVID last year. Uh, yeah. It was mild last year, but um, man, I tell you, when when uh, the antibodies kicked in from that that vaccination. It was rough. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And quick, as Michelle said, it was like within a couple hours, and then it, or half a day, and then all of a sudden, when it quit hurt hurting, it was almost like you threw a switch off. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, I guess we're still learning about all this and what the shots will do, what they won't do. I I think they are effective. I guess in just a little time will tell. Um, so I think I think in Huntsville, uh, what I'm hearing is that, uh, especially from the ham group, is its own and it's going to be bigger and better than ever. They're going to expand it to give more people, you know, more room uh, to give you a little bit, you know, uh, space between you and so forth. Uh, not sure you know what uh any restrictions that the the government might put on you know large events like that but it sounds like things are easing up and it's probably going to happen and i think it's going to be great and man i can't wait in fact we go down a couple days early and we'll stay a day later down at hustle we love that ham fest so much yeah now mark brown is in the chat room he's the ham fest chairman this year for bcd and he says the uh, Connected Hotel sold out in record time this year. Oh, yeah. And so they think the positives are going to outweigh the negatives, and Huntsville's going to be just fantastic. Yeah, we've got an extra hotel room that somebody's already begging us to give up. We're not sure how many of our family are going to be able to make it. Well, hey, if you don't get rid of it, and we have an astronaut that joins us, we might need another room, or he's going <laughs> to, or he's going to have to find one somewhere else. And, All right. Uh, so the astronaut's going to have to make make a, um, a a commitment to actually get on the air. Yeah, yeah. Every time he's over Florida, so we can work him. Because the one time that that the space station was worked out of my vehicle, I let the guy sitting next to me. Um, <laughs> the guy sitting next to me make the contact. Yeah, and that was a couple years ago with that lady who was up there making contacts. I tell you, when Doug was up, he was on all the time, man. He he, he worked some contacts. He was like Richard Garriott. You know, Richard Garriott went up and made thousands of contacts, but Doug did too. And uh, I mean, I I was talking to Doug so much. Yeah, you know the thing. The interesting thing about it, I listened for the space station for a year or two, tried to work it. I never worked it. And then when Doug got up here, I talked to him thirty times in one month, and I talked to him three times driving home in my truck. And I said, after that, I said, I don't want to work it anymore. And of course, he came down in. I said, I don't want to work it anymore. Let somebody else do it. But uh, it's amazing how you can go from 
you can't work it for a year or two. You work it three times a day almost. Did you ever hear the recording of the first transmission when Owen Garriott, W5LFL, yep. uh, made his first transmission ham radio transmission? Yeah, yeah. In fact, I listened to that again this past year. I, I you know, I met and know uh, Owen and Richard, and um, I knew. Uh, I, knew I copied. I, you know, I had back then we had a ca- we had cable, and I had a TV back in the ham shack, and it had the NASA channel. And they had the actual map, and, you know, you could see the shuttle, uh, where it was moving. You know, it was going from Texas to, it was heading toward New York. And I heard him. I had, a, I hooked my two-meter stuff up, and I heard him. I had a vertical, I think it was a Ringo Ranger up there. I heard him saying, you know, he's on the, uh, uh, what was it, the uh, space shuttle or whatever he was on. I forget now. But, yeah. He was on the shuttle. Yeah, he was on the shuttle, and he, uh, he, was, he made a transmission or two. And I heard him. I never could talk to him, but I heard him. And when he got right above me, I lost him, of course, the vertical. You know, it doesn't pick up straight above. And then as he got to New York, I started hearing him again. And then he went out, you know, he went past the horizon. So I heard him actually uh, make the very first ham radio calls. I, I guess you might call it space. Uh, he probably wasn't real high then. I don't know. He may have been close to orbit. I don't know. Oh, he was in orbit. Yeah. Um, now, Owen uh, used to live. He lived in Huntsville, Alabama. Mm-hmm. So uh, we, uh, uh, he would come to our space society meetings and things. So we got to, we really got to know Owen uh, quite, quite well. Um, but he, um, I had, I heard a recording from the first transmission over Portland, Oregon, and you could hear a beautiful W five LFL. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, listening now and then it was just total picture the worst pileup you've ever heard yeah. on 20 meters yeah and it was that's how it was on two meter fm it was just bedlam complete bedlam <laughs> well, you couldn't even hear yeah. owen after that because everybody you, was owen was a, yeah owen was a cool guy I, I i've got a video i did with owen and uh, i tried to make a joke with him i had him and and uh, richard together and I said, Owen, oh, I said, you know, I hear on the space station, they got this machine that purifies your your your, your urine and you, you drink it. And I said, I said, now, how, how do you tell when that thing's not working right? I said, does it taste bad? And boy, he went into, he gave me 15 scientific reasons on exactly how they test it. He never caught that I was trying to kind of make a joke about it, you know. Hey, uh, you're at your uh, 10 o'clock. Yeah, I am. I am. Hey, everybody out there, uh, you've been listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable. Uh, this is a show about ham radio. We're glad to have you. Send us an email, tom at w5kub.com. We'd love to have you. And uh, join us on Tuesday nights on YouTube slash w5kub. We'd love to have you watch the show instead of just listen to it out there. And uh, for anybody left in the chat room, there's uh, 140, 150 people, I guess, or let's see, maybe not that many, 100 and something. Uh, out there in the chat room, if you will, hit that subscribe button. If you hadn't hit the subscribe button, if you came in late, uh, we need you to hit the subscribe button. It really helps us out on our rankings. So hit the, please hit the subscribe button there. Hit the like button if you like the show tonight. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. And we have fulfilled our two hours 
uh, slot that we have a two-hour audio show now, which will go on WBCQ uh, shortwave station out of Monticello, Maine. And uh, you can hear this show on Thursdays from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time if you tune in to 7490. All right, well, guys, uh, that's it for tonight. All right, I'm going to jump out and get yeah. up early for work tomorrow. It's yeah. Good to see everybody. We'll, we'll see you later, man. Thanks, and thanks for the update on that. That's uh, interesting about the RF exposure. Yep. Okay. All right, man. Take care now. Oh, hey, 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 Alan, just real quick. Yeah. Yep. Next week, maybe, you're going to talk about, uh, what are you going to talk about? Something about Mars and the RF well, path or yeah, something? Yeah, I thought with, uh, with all the, the hype about the um, the Ingenuity copter going, I thought it might be interesting to talk about some of the RF technologies for commuting, you know, communicating, uh, you know, to other planets and things like that, you know, in terms of, you know, things like the deep space network, what bands are used, what modes are used, oh, that'd be cool. yeah. power levels, things like that. But I may call in an expert that, that does satellite antenna work uh, okay. to kind of talk about that. So it's still a pending thing because I'm not sure I can okay. line them up. All right. So, well, that will be good if you can do it. We're looking forward to it. Thank right. you, and we'll see you later. See all you right, next week. Care. All right. All right. So, Bill. Let me uh, let me close the show here, and uh, good night, everybody out there.